Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We have an incredibly exciting interview today. You listeners of our podcast know I am a huge fan, not only of professional tennis, ATP, WTA, all that it is, but of course, the collegiate level as well, near and dear to my heart. And today's interview guest, the perfect cross-section of those two things. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say, in my opinion, the greatest men's college tennis player of all time. He was a winner today, 6-2-7-6, to advance to the quarterfinals of the Winston-Salem Open. Stevie Johnson, welcome to the Cracked Interviews podcast. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I want to talk about so many things from mustache related to your time at USC, but I got to ask, uh, for you, you get to this quarterfinal in Winston-Salem, I think your third of the year at the ATP level. How nice of it uh, is it for you to get this sort of result before the Open? Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great thing for me. You know, I've I've had a bit of a tough year uh, by my standards uh, uh, so far, and I just wanted to kind of uh, hopefully hit uh, the U.S. summer swing, kind of hit the ground running. And, and it's been a bit of an up and down, but hopefully I'm, I'm trying to peak at the right time. Yeah. And, to Salem, and then hopefully we'll have, you know, be uh, firing on all cylinders once I get to New York. Absolutely. And for you, it's, it's interesting, you know, the past couple of years you've done uh, Rogers Cup, you've done Cincinnati this year, obviously the change, you go to Aptos and you get your uh, first title of the year, albeit at the challenger level, but still, how nice was it for you to get back in the winner's circle this year? Anytime you can be the last guy standing in it, it's always a good week. You know, just let's just put it that way. Uh, it doesn't matter what level it's at. It's always fun to be the winner since there's always only one guy <laughs> at the end of every week. Um, yeah, a bit of a different uh, choice in, in schedule this year. Didn't uh, really want to go play D.C. in Montreal this year. Uh, just the way it's gone the last couple of years, I, I you know, kind of decided to stay on the West Coast to go down to Los Cabos and then go up to Aptos, a place that I had been successful in the past, to just try and get as many matches as possible. And uh, was the plan was to go to Cincinnati, but it, you know things kind of shook out and didn't go my way for getting in the main draw. And um, so you know now we're here in Winston-Salem just trying to you know put our best foot forward every day. And for you at this point, because you've played U.S. Opens before, you know all that comes with New York. Uh, was it, playing Winston-Salem just about getting ATP matches, getting wins under your belt, regardless of how it affects your U.S. Open experience? Absolutely. You know, I played, this is my seventh year in Winston-Salem, and this will be my, I believe, tenth year at the U.S. Open, if, if, which is crazy to believe to me. Um but, uh, you know, I play this event every year. I've made semis, I've made finals, I've made quarters, you know, four times or, or so. So I've done well here. Um, personally, you know, for me, I, I enjoy competing. Um, so, you know, if I can come here, compete, try and play, you know, hopefully as many matches as possible, I feel like that sharpens my game more than, you know, maybe 10 days of practice in New York getting, getting ready for the, for the U.S. Open. And, you know, kind of unfortunately in, in the spot I'm in not being seated, you know, it's it's luck of the draw. You know, ten days of prep, and you know you could draw Novak or Roger and Rafa in these guys first round, and you know it's it's definitely going to be a tall uh, tall task to climb. So I try and come here, play as many matches, and then get up to New York and just hopefully with a boatload of confidence and and uh, let's hit the ground running. And for you, it's not only just Winston-Salem. You've played five events since uh, the end of Wimbledon, which just feels like that must have been every week. Wimbledon couldn't have been more than five weeks ago. Uh, was that something that was always part of the plan, or is that just an adjustment you've made given your results earlier in the year? 
it's it's been an adjustment over the years definitely you know my first couple of years on tour i think i played every week from wimbledon to the u.s open because i really wanted to play every week in the states you know i wanted to maximize my time here i love playing in the states you know in front of you know the, the crowds and the fans you know it's not my hometown of course you know playing in these cities but it feels like it just because you get the crowd support and everybody kind of behind you so i made it you know i've made an executive decision the last couple of years to you know play Newport if, if I if I need to and I feel like I'm ready to go and then after that kind of start with you know the I like to play three or four tournaments leading up to the open I, I like to be matched tough and I feel like that's when I play my best tennis plus you're so skinny now you got to show off that body <laughs> yeah it's been a bit of a transformation the last few years and um, you know it's it's been great for you know you know not only my tennis game but you know everything that goes along with it with you know just being able to be healthier, last longer, you know, while you're out there playing and not worried about getting tired too often. Absolutely. And I say this lovingly, when you have to run around so many backhands, I can only imagine how tiring that gets. That's so. that's the plan, you know, now that I'm, uh, you know, now that's, now that's even more in the game plan. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I do want to move on, but in Aptos, you had the chance first round, your former USC teammate and doubles partner, uh, partner Roberto Quiroz, got the chance to play him. Uh, you know, results aside, kind of cleaned his clock. You're like, listen, freshman, some things never change. Um, but uh, what was that experience like to get to play one of your teammates in a professional match? Um, it was it was interesting. You know, it's funny because I think my 20, uh, get this right, 2012, I played it. I played Robert Farah in the finals. Um, so another teammate of mine. So I've played teammates up there the last couple of times that I've been there. So it's been fun. Um, I've been lucky enough to get the win on both ends of that to kind of ha- have a bit of bragging rights. But, uh, you know, Roberto, I only play with him one year. You know, he's a great kid. Hopefully he could, you know, kind of keep going on. But uh, he didn't have his best day on the tennis court. And, you know, it, it's kind of a bummer for him. I'm sure he wanted to do a little bit better. But, you know, that, that's the way it goes sometimes. You guys are way too professional to think this way, but at any point you're like, you know what, I'm just going to go sit next to him during this changeover. Like, let's <laughs> chat a little. No, you know, in my mind, you know, I was thinking, how about I, you know, go out and get a win and then go <laughs> sit, sit over there and, and maybe have a chat with him and see how he's doing. Um, yeah. You know, because, you know, you got to put all that aside when you go out there. And, you know, for me, you know, Aptos, you know, going up there to, you know, my goal was to win. And, and that was, uh, that's what exactly what I did. Yeah, absolutely. You guys are like, look, winner buys the beer. That's how we'll do it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and what's crazy for me is in this, you know, heated schedule, you also find the time to play another season of world team tennis. Now, you know, you're not playing every match, but still lining up for your hometown Orange County Breakers. Why is that something that continues to appeal to you despite playing such a heavy uh, ATP schedule? Um, for me, it's a bit of a no-brainer. Um, I love to play world team tennis, especially for Orange County. You know, it's it's somebody I played a full season for them back in the day, and now. I usually try and play, you know, a couple matches. And this year I got extremely lucky with, you know, the week I was planning on being home training that they were home for, for three nights. So I was able to play three nights. And, um, you know, for me, it's more about getting to play in front of, you know, grandparents, aunts, uncles, you know, moms, you know, just family and and friends who don't often get a chance to see me play live. Um, So for me, I I always jump at the chance because it's fun for me to play in, in, in that kind of a format just to to be there with friends and family watching you know people who see me on you know tv or watch online kind of throughout the year but you know they don't get a chance to see me too often in in person so uh you know it's indian wells and kind of world team tennis for me to to have those opportunities and uh i I really jump at the chance and you know the owner eric davidson's an incredible guy i've known him almost you know since i was you know a teenager we used to play tennis back in the day at that club that the world team tennis has played at so for me it kind of comes full circle and, and i really do enjoy it 
do you like the no ad format kind of mixing around singles doubles oh yeah you know i like i mean i think it's great because you know sometimes in my opinion tennis is you know maybe a bit too stuffy with with kind of the rules and everything um you know it's fun to kind of have the music have people you know cheering and you know kind of get interactive with the fans and i think it's good you know i'm not sure everybody's ready to jump on board for that to be you know how the u.s <laughs> open looks in you know next week but i i think it's uh it's it's definitely a fun environment to play tennis in yeah, absolutely and I'm, I'm curious for you and this is bringing us back and again i, I want to be conscious of your time but i know you know your relationship with team tennis goes all the way back to 2006 and 2007 when you played you know the cif singles championships and you brought home a championship for your high school you know what is it about team tennis just you know outside of you know playing in front of the fans and the family that continues to appeal to you yeah, I mean, I think this one's kind of a no-brainer. I think anybody could probably look at my results in team events, you know, for the <laughs> longest time, you know, you know, when I was young, even younger. Um, I, I love playing for something bigger than myself. So, you know, being a part of the team, you know, being part of any team, you know, college was incredible. Now, you know, we don't get too many chances, so I, I jump at the chance to play Davis Cup ties. Uh, you know, it's just I just love being on a team. You know, we get we're out there almost every day every week you know we're competing for for ourselves but you know for our team and everything that you know our coaches and whatnot but you know it's at the end of the day you know one guy wins one guy loses and they kind of go on so i enjoy the the chance to cheer on my teammates to play for play for somebody else to kind of you know for for a for a bigger goal and that's what i love most about team sports would you say that same logic applied? And I, you know, in the build up to this, I was watching some highlights. I watched your bronze medal highlights with Jack Sock from the 2016 Olympics, and the look on your face, the smile you show when you rocket that ball into the crowd after you guys secure the bronze <laughs> medal. Uh, why was playing the Olympics, you know, so special for you? Is it because it's that same sort of feeling? I mean, just you know, you said it yourself. I mean, you get a chance to play in the Olympics. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not everybody gets to say they do that, and certainly not everybody gets to say they they get to bring home a medal. So, you know, I, I couldn't be more pleased with my uh, Olympic experience. I had the most incredible time with the team, with everybody, with just all the athletes involved, and I had a bit of a uh, maybe a, I thoroughly enjoyed it a bit more because I was able to catch up with a lot of my USC. Um, kind of alumni as well who play for other countries and, and other sports that I haven't seen for a while. And now we're all on the biggest stage kind of doing what we, what we used to do back in college. So it, for me, it was full circle. And, you know, that day was maybe the hardest day in my tennis career, losing to Murray after being up four, three serving in the third, um, you know, in the quarterfinals to try and get to the medal rounds and the singles. And then, you know, a couple hours later, we're out there playing for bronze. And, you know, I think, you know, thank the Lord every day that we walked away with a win there. And, um, you know, it's, it's just something that I'll never forget. This is ruining one of my questions for our rapid fire segment at the end, but I'm going to list some doubles partners for you from least to worst, your favorite Jack Sock, uh, Roberto Quiroz, Robert Farah, Daniel Nguyen. Oh man. Uh, boy, I think Jack and I have had the most success. Um, Roberto and I had a brief season together. Daniel and I are the same year, and we accomplished quite a bit. And the other name, I can't remember. Robert Farah, of course. Oh, oh the Wimbledon champion. Uh, how can I forget him? <laughs> um, no, but uh, he was an incredible partner. I led him down two straight years in NCAAs after he won it. So uh, I have that uh, definitely to think about the rest of my life. <laughs> 
No, that's that's funny. I feel like that was a cop out. I'm gonna say from that list, I gathered you would go Sock, Farah, Nguyen, Kiros. I think that's probably accurate. <laughs> All right, you heard that, guys. So you know that that's a shot. Um, but I guess for you know with USC coming up, it's a perfect way to transition for you. You know, it's notable you you go 72 and 0 to end your college career, but even more so than that, you spend all four seasons at USC that you were able to. Uh, why did you think you know not only going to college but staying in college was the best way for you to develop into a tennis professional? Well, first of all, I mean, at 18, there's no chance I'm ready to be a professional from a physicality standpoint, mentally, emotionally, you name it. I, I mean, I'm a kid. I don't know what it's like to be, you know, on my own. I've lived at home my whole life. And, you know, you're just not, you have no idea what the real world is like, you, you know, at 18, at least I didn't. And, you know, so I get to college and, uh, you know, I really found a love for the work ethic it takes for to, to be a better tennis player. So, you know, that was something that I learned right away and I loved every minute of it being in the gym and, and working super hard with the guys. And then, you know, staying in college, you know, a lot of people, I think question my choices to stay my senior year after winning. We won three years in a row. I won individuals. I think I'd won like 30 something matches in a row. You know, people all said there's nothing left to prove. You know, the only thing you could do is go down, blah, blah, blah. And to me, I can remember as clear as day at Stanford University where the um, where NCAAs was, you know, I, I was with Peter and I said, there's no way I'm not coming back. You know, and, and you could, you don't. And I want to come back. I want to win four in a row. I want to have the chance at least, you know, obviously it's a bit of a storybook ending the way everything turned out. But, you know, win or lose, I wanted to come back. I wanted to see it through. I don't want to look back and have any regrets in my life, in my tennis life. Um, so I just wanted to come back. And, you know, the rest is history. I mean, you know, the numbers speak for itself. And, you know, it's hard to even really imagine that I, I did that. But, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, I just kind of sit back and enjoy now and, you know, let other people talk about it if they'd like. Yeah, and so I guess then, quick follow-up, again, I'm ruining a rapid fire, but true or false, you guys lose that match to Virginia in the 2011 final at Stanford. Do you think that changes your decision? Do you think it was nope. that opportunity? Nope, you go back no matter nope. what? No uh, no doubt. I mean, if we lose, you know, I'm, I'm you know angry and I want to come back and win, and if we win, <laughs> I want to come back and, and never lose kind of thing. So <laughs> I, I don't think that changes my decision whatsoever. Oh, I, I like it. Well, then, on that the note of that match, and uh, for the record, I was born 1995, so 2011, I'm 16 years old. I'm in the thick of my college tennis fandom, and I would make the argument, maybe when Puget's foot hits the net in UCLA, Virginia, a couple of years later, but if not that, Daniel wins diving volley, the match against Sanam Singh, 4-3 against, uh, you know, you guys get the win over UVA. I would argue that's the greatest match uh, I've ever seen in college tennis. Would you say that's the best match you've ever been a part of? Um, boy, it's giving me chills just thinking about it right now, quite frankly. <laughs> um, I can remember just standing on the court kind of with my team and, you know, kind of just telling them, you know, let's not get you know too crazy here. Let's not get too up, too down. You know, Daniel's, you know, he's a, he's a smart guy. He knows what's going on around him. And, and, you know, we just need to be there for him. Win Every point, win, lose, stay positive. And, um, but, you know, that man is a, is a clutch human being, and, um, you know, he deserves, you know, every bit of praise he gets. You know, he was such a big part of our teams, and, you know, that's the beauty of college tennis. You know, regardless of what I did, you know, I'm one point out there. We got to win four, and we had incredible teams, incredible coaches uh, be, you know, be with us and, and really kind of 
bring everybody together. So as much as, you know, it, it may be, you know, kind of fall on, you know, my team, it's, you know, there's 10 other guys and five other out there playing every, you know, day as hard as they can to, to go out there and win. So it's, we had incredible team and incredible, you know, coaches to go along with it. Would you say standing on the sidelines for that match, the most nervous you've ever been on a tennis court? Yeah, you know, you definitely want it to be in your hands. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, if it wasn't in mine, Daniel's was was the obvious choice. You know, he, he, you know, he just goes out and he goes about his business. And, you know, when Peter goes over there to kind of get in his head and, and get, get, get to the bottom of these matches, you know, he's... He's uh, he's like a sponge, man. He just listens and, and God does exactly what he needs to do, and, and he executes. And that's the most important thing you can do in tennis. I'm pretty sure when you tackled Peter after the match, he was concussed for the next two months. I mean, you <laughs> yeah, hit him. I think I would have. I think I may have tackled him harder in 2012. But uh, <laughs> um, and that's, that's a thick Stevie too. That's you know, I'm still eating gluten, Stevie. <laughs> oh, I'm still eating gluten. I'm gluten dependent. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Well, then for you, um, and I just think it's so interesting because, and you've talked about this before, you go from the winningest player in college tennis, you don't lose, you know, you could play up to three times in a week and you're not losing any matches and you jump onto the pro circuit. Was, you know, getting accustomed to the fact that you're probably going to lose every week the hardest part about that transition? No doubt about it. Losing hit me hard and it hit me really hard. Um you know, I, I just wasn't accustomed to it, and you know, I lost every week. It seemed like for years. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, it and it took me a long time to. You know, I, I took them hard. I took them as I'm not good enough. You know, what is this? You know, you know what is kind of happening? You know, all the negative thoughts that go with it, rather than you know being practical about. All right, you know, I didn't play well today, but I did this well. What can we do well next week? You know, let's find positives going into each week, and it's taken me. You know, it took me a good couple of years to really figure that out, and that's the most important thing I've learned is being practical in the the wins and in losses, and and you know, focusing on what we can do better each and every day. And um, you know, definitely the losses sting. Some some hurt more than others, but uh, you just got to be okay and, and move on because you know only one guy wins every week, and that doesn't mean everybody else had a bad week. You know, the guy in the final had a great week as well, but he still lost. You know, what can he build on that going forward as well? So it really sounds like because, you know, having watched your college matches, that serve, that forehand, you could tell even in the moment those are ATP weapons. Was it, it, it was it more difficult mentally than physically making that adjustment? That sounds what it's uh, that's what it sounds it's like. You know, it's definitely both. You know, physically I was there and then about 2015, 2016, I made a decision to be really physically there. And, you know, so it's it's just a it's just a process. You know, I think the game has changed so much. It's just become more physical. Guys are getting smarter with what they do with their bodies, kind of how they maintain and how they uh, push themselves. And, you know, I think that's what you're seeing with these guys, Roger included, playing till you know, they're 37, 38 years old and, and being the best in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I, I want to be conscious of your time again, but I would be remiss if I did not ask you this question, uh, tennis related, and I'm sure you get it a lot. You know, you watch Steve Johnson play, you know what you're going to see. Opponents are going to attack your backhand side, in particular, uh, the backhand slice. That's where they're going with the serve. Does that get frustrating to you at this point? Or do you think knowing what they're going to do, that helps you and it's a weapon for you? No, I don't think it, you know, it's not frustrating at all. Look, you know, I'm doing the same thing to the other guy if he's got a weak side. So, you know, that's tennis. You, you know, you got to put your best foot forward. And, you know, for me, you know, when I do that and it doesn't work for them, you know, you can kind of see the frustration grow. 
and then you know you can kind of get them rattled a bit so for me look you know the game plan it seems simple to play against me but a lot of guys have tried and you know i've got a lot of wins under my belt so you know i'm doing something right so i just got to keep going out there you know putting my best foot forward and you know i don't worry so much about what the other guy's going to do this is a very stupid question i acknowledge but i feel like you know casual observers if they're going to criticize you they'll be like oh why doesn't he go work on his two-handed backhand why doesn't he work on coming over the ball you work on those sort of things right you have no idea the number of <laughs> hours and time and years that I've spent. And look, you know, if you come out to a practice, you would have, I bet you wouldn't know, you know, what my, you know, that I hit a slice, you know, I hit a lot of back ends and I don't have an issue with it, but there's just, you know, it's just the way I play my game, how I structure my game. And, um, you, you know, a lot of people have always had negative thoughts to say, but you know, it's, you know, too bad for them. I like to, you know, focus on what I, you know, the positives that I have. And, you know, not a lot of guys like dealing with the slice. Some do, you know, it makes my life a bit harder, but it's, uh, it's something that I've had and something that, you know, trust me, it's not going to, it's not going to change from now until <laughs> the end of my career. Oh, I can only imagine. I think, uh, jokingly, Max Rothman, who I record one of the other podcasts with said, just switch to the one-hander. You know, we, I've seen you whip out the one-handing passing shot. It works. Yeah, no, no, it's, you know, you never know what you're going to see over there. I kind of <laughs> just focus on what the ball gives me and then, and do what, it, do what I'm supposed to do. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people out there who, who probably think they're smarter than me, uh, when it comes to my game. And, you know, I like to just tell them good for you and, you know, move on. <laughs> I promise I am not one of those people. Yeah. Um, but I know you were a Sampras fan. I am a big uh, fan of tennis film as well. You're running forehand. You can't tell me it's not based off of watching him do it on TV all of those years. Yeah. I mean, look, he had the best, uh, I want to say probably the best, you know, ever or, you know, uh, it seemed like he just baited guys into going there and then he just hit it by him. Um, so look, anytime I can kind of hit a forehand on the run, I feel like, you know, I'm in a good spot, so uh, I'm going to take it. So for me, you know, it was definitely a lot of watching Pete growing up and, um, you know, that's a shot I, I'd like to thrive on. Yeah, absolutely. And for you again, last tennis related, and then I promise we'll get to our rapid fire, but the body language, it feels like, you know, when you are amped up, the the little smirk you get on your face, the mustache curls a little bit at the tip of the mouth. Uh, you just, the energy you play with can be so contagious. How do you maintain, you know, the poise, the staying calm in the big moments, and then, you know, manage to show that fire when you, you know, something good happens? Yeah, it's it's definitely a fine line because you don't want to be like a roller coaster during the match, too high, too low. You know, that's how you kind of wear yourself out. You got to find that kind of balance of staying positive, being excited, getting into the moment, and knowing you know the intensity's there. So for me, you know, it's just you know it's the competing. You know, who doesn't love to compete? You know, for me, it's it's something that I've, I've loved to do my entire life. And you know, when I get on the court, you know, that's my time to compete. So like, I go out there and just kind of try and you know give it my best every day because once i get off the court i am one of the least competitive guys i think uh, you'll ever meet no absolutely well with that in mind there's one last thing i want to do with you and again cv thank you so much for uh giving yeah, us your time it is our rapid fire segment i'm going to run you through a series of questions just give our listeners uh, a chance to get to know you a little better get you know your mind frame heading into the u.s open and i'm sure some of them won't be rapid fire answers but sound good to you <laughs> i'll try my best yeah, no, I love it. All right, well, then, with that in mind, Westoff, give me a rapid-fire sound effect, please.
All right, we'll start with a fun one. Let's start with the college teammate edition because, you know, so much of college tennis, our listeners know, is spent practicing as opposed to playing matches. You spend so much time with your teammates. I want to ask you a series of questions about your USC teammates and, you know, throw under throw whomever under the bus you'd like. I like it. All right, your favorite practice partner from your time there? Oof, boy. Um, favorite practice partner? Anybody I could beat, I think. You know, it wasn't too often in practice. <laughs> no, I could see you and Yannick just like on court six, just balling. Yeah, I, I like hitting with Yannick. He's an athletic guy. Man, what a serve, what a talent. You know, I'm kind of waiting for him to piece it all together. I know he's close to doing it on the tour. Oh, absolutely. Well, then, how about this? Likeliest to hook you in practice? Hmm. That? Probably Peter Lucasen. You know, he's definitely a competitive guy. <laughs> I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that that man will do anything to win. And, um, you know, he was, you know, one of my best friends. And, you know, with that being said, he is one of my best friends. So I don't want to throw him too much. Under the bus. <laughs> no, it's okay. He's a coach now. You can throw him under yeah, the bus. Exactly. Yeah, it's totally cool. All right, He's you're... still calling him tight as a coach. <laughs> exactly. He's hooking Ernesto. Um, but you're uh, your favorite to go out with. Oh, probably an old teammate. It was Daniel Gleiner. He was with me for two years. Played yeah. a little lower in the lineup, but a good friend of mine. Yeah, lower in the lineup, that means you can drink a little harder. I like yeah, it. Yeah, he was, he, was he was a good drinker. <laughs> Your funniest teammate. Oh, man, funniest teammate. God, I'm going to say myself, but, you know. <laughs> uh, probably my uh, freshman roommate. I had a blast with him, Andrew Kells. Uh, he's such a good buddy of mine and, you know, somebody that I you know still talk to a lot today. Yeah, absolutely. Your favorite Peter Smithism. Man, there's a lot. You know, he taught me just about everything. You know, he's he's somebody that you know I consider to be like a father uh, figure. So, uh, I mean, he taught me you know not only tennis but life. Absolutely. I mean, it just you can see he's the coolest guy in the room always. He's always very calm, poised, and ready to kind of assess the assess the room. Yeah, absolutely. Well, bigger college rival, UCLA or UVA? Um. It's not a rival if you don't lose to somebody, so it can't be UVA. Um, you know, no issues. You know, beating those guys. We lost to UCLA a lot. Uh, I'd like to. I, I'd say over my years, we had a losing record as a team over them, but we always had. Uh, we always won the important ones, so that's the most important thing. And UVA, we beat every year in NCAA. So for me, I'm four and zero, and you know, there, there you go. Goodbye. Good answer. I'm down with that. All right. I, I apologize if I butcher his last name, but Peter Smith recently resigning from USC. Your former assistant, Brett Massey, Masai, uh, announces the new head coach. Your thoughts on him? Uh, Brett's a great guy. You know, he was with me for one year, was with Peter probably for about four or five years prior to that. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm glad he's uh, he's the one going to kind of take over. I think they, could, they can do something special this year. And, uh, you, you know, just getting a little hard with Peter having, you know, all his, you know, with his sons on the team and, you know, just uh, was too much to kind of take on. He wanted to kind of just be more on, on the fatherly side of things. So, you know, I know it came out as a bit of a surprise probably to everyone, but, you know, for him, it's more of a quality of life. And, you know, I think he's got a couple things that he really wanted to get done in his life, and he's uh, he's going to be close. But uh, Brett's a great guy, um, great leader, great competitor, um, great tennis knowledge. I hope um, – I'm not sure who his assistant will be, if it will still be Chris. I think they'll work well together. And, you know, I think they really can do something special this year. 
Absolutely. It's going to be a fun team to watch. So much returning talent. Um, but I know this was something that started for you, I believe, your junior year at USC. Uh, you got to explain this to me. What's the deal with the mustache? I don't know. I think it's just boredom. You know, really, uh, I mean, I, I've got no big life events coming up, it seems like. You know, I had my wedding, so I couldn't have it. I had my sister's wedding. You know, I had my wife's sister's wedding. You know, all within. So, like, I had it for a few months, had to get rid of it. Had it for a few months, had to get rid of it, you know, kind of thing. So, you know, it's here to stay. I don't know. I, I find it just to be kind of goofy and, you know, it just fits, kind of fits my face. So, it's, um, you know, for me, I, I'm going to stick with it and, you know. I don't care what anybody else thinks, so that's all that matters. Yeah, look, you have an easy Luigi or Mario costume set up for you come Halloween. Exactly, so, like, exactly. Yeah. Sure thing. Uh, coolest thing that, or you know, coolest part about being married? Um, just spending with with my wife. You know, I got super lucky uh, that she's uh, what you know. She was an athlete. She played volleyball at USC, so she gets this crazy life. You know, and I don't think many people get what it takes to be a tennis player or a professional athlete, and. You know, especially a tennis player, just with the travel and everything that goes along with it, the highs and lows. So she's been like a rock. You know, she's told me to toughen up when it's time to toughen up and, you know, kind of, you know, been there when times have been, you know, a, a little rough to kind of put her shoulder, you know, put her arm around me. And uh, But it's somebody that, you know, when we when we leave a tennis, you know, I, I am so happy that, you know, we get out and um, just enjoy life. You know, we live a pretty quiet, peaceful life in L.A. and you know, close to the beach and, you know, couldn't be happier. You know, being married is, uh, is, has been a blessing. Can you have a quiet, peaceful life in LA? feels a little oxymoronic. Sure, sure can. You know, I'm, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm by the coast in LA, so it's a little different. I'm not in downtown or dealing with rush hour traffic. You know, we just, when I'm home, we're, you know, we're, we're pretty much at home. You know, I, I spend a fair bit of time at my golf club to kind of go play some golf. And then, uh, you know, we're just enjoying time with the dog and, you know, her family and their new nephew and, you know, her parents and my mom and, and everybody that's, uh, that's close by. Well, you mentioned golf, and again, we'll round out here. Best of the American men as a golfer. Do they have to be a current player? No, it can be, well, it can be retired. If you're, if you're mentioning Tim Smichek, he counts. Mm, no, well, it's not Tim. It's Marty Fish. <laughs> um, he is the best golfer. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, he's, he, he makes us all look silly. But uh, there's a lot of good tennis players. And I think it's just, you know, enjoyable for us to kind of go out and, you know, walk up to a ball that's not moving. You know, somebody's not trying to hit it at you and just kind of, you know, take your swing and, you know, peaceful time to kind of go walk around. It's not physical. You know, you can just enjoy it and it's peaceful. So I think that's why a lot of us do play. Is he wearing ankle socks on the golf course as well? <laughs> you know, uh, some, you know, depends if it's uh, most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we all are trying to get rid of these tans. <laughs> no, completely. It's a, the tennis player curse. I agree. They just last. That and the calluses on the hand. Um, exactly. All right. Uh, yeah. La- last two for you. Uh, you know, your favorite city in the world? <laughs> My house. <laughs> you know, uh, I-, I love it. Uh, we moved up to, I've been in the South Bay uh, the last seven years, and, you know, I love it up there. It's so peaceful and quiet. Um, you know, we don't get to spend a lot of time at home. So when I do get home, it's so nice to just kind of, you know, throw the suitcases down and just, you know, be home and and be present. So that's, that's my favorite city in the world. I love to hear. Well, then last one for you. And I suppose this is the polar opposite of that mindset. Uh, Your goals for the rest of 2019 and what fans should expect from you down the home stretch. Uh, 
uh, I'm gonna, you know, just keep trying to piece the, this this puzzle together. You know, I've had a, a head scratching year from my from my standards, and you know, I've had a lot of close matches, and everyone has seemed to go the opposite direction. So, uh, you know, if I feel like I can change a few points this year, you know, I think I'm I'm back in the top 30. So, you know, that's how you know close this this sport is, and um, I'm gonna play. Hopefully, not you know every week after the U.S. Open, I'm gonna take a couple weeks off. But uh, I'm going to play a lot at the end of the year to just try and, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm getting my game to where it needs to be, so I want to capitalize on this time that I'm playing well. Absolutely. And look, quarterfinals in Winston-Salem tomorrow against John Millman, U.S. Open on the horizon. I know I'm speaking for American tennis fans everywhere. We look forward to watching you down the home stretch because, you know, you've been a staple of American men's tennis the past 10 years. So, Stevie, you know, good luck to you. And again, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Cracked Interviews podcast. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And when you shave that mustache, if you do like fun shapes beforehand, I'll take a photo or two. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens. I'll have to throw it out a little bit more and get a little bit more creative. Yeah, for sure. But all right, take care and good luck. Appreciate it. Thank you.